in his first recorded sermon, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus actually talked about spiritual disciplines. Well, really, he, he confronted the Pharisees and their abuse of those disciplines. You see, the Pharisees were only concerned about looking good and, by the way, making everyone else look bad. They wanted to make sure that everyone saw just how spiritual they really were. So they took some disciplines intended for our good, and they polluted them. Things God gave us for our benefit, they used to to show off. The disciplines became kind of like merit badges, showcases of arrogant piety. As a result, this external performance religion degenerated into a sort of legalism of of man-made rules. Do these things um, the way that we do them and and only the way that we do them, and then you will find acceptance with God. And so again, they destroyed the spiritual disciplines. And and Jesus uh, came along in in this first sermon, among other things, sought to restore the true value of the disciplines. That that is incredibly important. That is important to me. Jesus did, did not say, stop doing these things. He said, when you do them, do them rightly. You see, as we have been in our study of the spiritual disciplines, my repeated purpose has been to see the true value, not to abuse them, but to see the true value of growing us toward maturity in our knowledge of and relationship with God. I have said it over and over. These are simply tools to grow in grace. They they don't earn us any merit before God. They don't get God to like us or to notice us. They don't get God to love us more. They are tools to help us grow in Christian maturity. Well, in in this first sermon, Jesus uh, addressed, or the first thing that he addressed was the discipline of giving. The Pharisees, you see, made a big show out of giving, sounding the trumpet, making sure that everybody knew. And then he talked about prayer, which, by the way, we covered last week. In fact, this is the sermon where he gave us the Lord's Prayer. Again, the Pharisees made a big show of praying, making sure that everybody saw them. And Jesus then said to them, you have your reward. What you want is the praise of men. You got that, but you get nothing from God. So Jesus said, when you give, when you pray, I want you to do it rightly. Now, now those two disciplines, giving and prayer, we kind of get those. We just did them. We understand that Christians are supposed to give and pray. Yes, Jesus did teach. When you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And when you pray, go into uh, your secret prayer closet. In other words, don't make a big show out of it. And we get that. We don't do it all of the time. But we know that we're supposed to. And as we have... Engaged in those disciplines, we have grown in grace and seen their value for our lives. But, but now we come to the third discipline, the third on Jesus' list, giving, praying, and, and this one. And, and it's actually the third on our list. We talked about the Bible and 
praying and well now this one and it's honestly a, a little bit fuzzy it's a little less understood and it's also a lot less practice you see today we're we're going to talk about fasting i hope you had a big breakfast uh, the, the truth is there is not much teaching on fasting today now lots of people f fast for health reasons i guess to cleanse their colons or partial fasting from things like sugar and wheat and meat. Like why? <laughs> that, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about biblical fasting, which always has a spiritual purpose. In fact, in his book on the disciplines, Richard Foster noted as he got ready to write the book, there had not been a single book written about fasting for almost a century, from the mid-1800s to the mid-1900s, till right before he wrote his book. <laughs> well, of course. You see, we live in an age of excess and, and entitlement and, and indulgence. Fasting? Are you kidding me? We're Americans. We have fast food stores on, on every corner. I'm not, I'm not fasting. Frankly, I'm not Sure that opening a Target in Boone would have caused the buzz that opening Chipotle did last week. I mean, few disciplines go more against the flesh and, and, and our culture than this one. We kind of put fasting in the same category as wearing those rough, scratchy robes and, and going barefoot and shaving our heads and sleeping on beds of nails and walking on fire and handling snakes and things like that. And even if we do know a little bit about it, we, let's just be honest, don't like it. Prayer I can handle. I can read my Bible because you guilted me into it. I can even give a little bit, but fasting, come on. I, I like food and it likes me. Uh, I, some people eat to live. I live to eat. In fact, we, we just recently painted uh, in, our in our dining room. We have this, the back of the cabinets, we painted this chalk wall. And the very first thing that and one of my daughters put on the chalk wall was, um, first we eat, then we do everything else. I would suggest to you that the reason that we don't like fasting is because we really, we really don't get it. And so we seldom, if ever, observe spiritual fasts. And as a, as a consequence, we've never tasted the value of this discipline. Did you know that many of the great people of the Bible fasted? You know, people like Moses and David and Elijah and Esther and Daniel and Anna and Paul and the early church and, oh yeah, Jesus. And did you know that many great Christians through uh, church history have fasted? You know, John Knox and John Calvin, John Wesley, John Edwards, and you say, good, my name's not John. Well, there's also David Brainerd. Uh, did, did, you, did you know that fasting is mentioned as many times in the Bible as baptism, we hear sermons about like baptism all the time. When's the last time you heard a sermon on fasting? I have a theory about that. If you teach on fasting, you got to do it. And most preachers look like they could use a fast or two. <laughs> now, now, there are some things in the Bible that cause us to question the practice of fasting. First, did you know that fasting is never commanded in the Bible, like ever? Uh, the closest thing that we can find to a command is in Leviticus chapter 16, where on the Day of Atonement, the Israelites are told to humble themselves. 
It's kind of an interesting connection, humbling and, and fasting. Later, that was understood to mean that they should fast, and so they did. But hey, we know that the Day of Atonement is done, right? It all pointed to Jesus. So since it's all done, we don't fast anymore, right? Again, and never in the New Testament are we commanded to fast. It's never compulsory. It's, it was always voluntary, to which you say, that's fine with me. I'd rather pray a little more or give a little extra when the offering plate is passed rather than pass the dinner plate. Some of you might even say, this is, that's good to hear that because I've tried fasting and that just did not work for me. Glad I don't have to do it. Can we just wrap this up and pray and go eat lunch? The second problem is this. There seemed to be times when Paul um, opposed fasting or at least minimized it. For example, in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul told Timothy, but the Spirit says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful uh, spirits and doctrines of demons. Pay attention, doctrines of demons. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared. Are you kidding me? Why are you standing up there talking about fasting? That's a doctrine of demons past the potatoes. Another time, Paul wrote in Colossians, which we just finished studying a short time ago, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why is it as if you are living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, and, and do not touch in accordance with uh, commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made Religion, that's just like the Pharisees, this self-made religion is self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Did you, did you catch that, Scott? Do not taste. I mean, fasting is a self-made religion which results in the severe treatment of my body. And it's of no value, no fasting for me. In fact, the no fasting... Um, Verse in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 8, verse 8. But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we eat. Great. So I'll choose to eat. Thank you very much. And the more, the better. But I'll do it unto God. Besides all that, Jesus told us in the Lord's prayer in this same chapter, give us this day our daily bread. I'll take the daily bread. Thank you very much. And now you're telling us when he gives us the daily bread, we're supposed to say thanks, but, but no thanks? I mean, come on. Are we supposed to fast or not? We also know that there are all kinds of reasons that people fast, which further complicates the issue. There are political fasts. We call those hunger strikes. Uh, when people want to draw attention to a particular cause. Let me be very clear right now. Uh, fasting is not a hunger strike. Uh, well, there are also those health fasts, which again seem rather popular today. 
In fact, I don't want to step on any toes, but I've talked to some who want to kind of mix the two together. Hmm. Let's see. Fasting is good for weight loss, so I'll fast for physical and spiritual reasons. Just kind of tack that on. Kill two birds with one stone. And the primary reason that people are fasting has nothing to do with a spiritual purpose. I am not a doctor. I am not saying anything about the medical benefits of fasting. I am just saying this. Don't Clean out your colon and call it spiritual. It may feel spiritual, it isn't. (laughs) Another issue is the fact that fasting is not exclusive to Christianity. All kinds of world religions observe fasting. In fact, a long time ago, people thought demons entered the body through food. So if you weren't doing too well or or you were sick, well, no more food, got to get rid of the demons. Today, Hindus fast. Buddhists fast, although it is not real clear by looking at the statue that Buddha himself ever fasted. (laughs) Muslims fast. As we saw a few moments ago, Jews, particularly um, Pharisees, fast. In fact, why don't we we read uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 and following, see what Jesus says about fasting. He says, whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites, notice that word, the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be uh, noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So again, it's, it's apparent from this text that the Pharisees fasted a lot. In fact, let me give you a little a background here. The, the Talmud, which is the, the Jewish commentary on the Torah, which is the Old Testament law, the Talmud said that Jews um, should fast on the second and fifth day of the week. That's every Monday and Thursday. <laughs> Dude, are you kidding? Wow. Twice a week. Aren't you impressed? Don't you think that that would make you especially spiritual? They thought, they thought so. We remember the story of Jesus, uh, the story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 18 about the Pharisee and the tax collector coming to the temple to pray. Re- remember that? The Pharisee drew near and said, God, I thank you that I am not like other really nasty sinners, you know, swindlers and unjust adulterers or even like this Filthy, nasty tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get good for you. You see, the Pharisees thought that this twice a week fast set them apart and made them especially pleasing to God. And by the way, as it relates to that two times a week, the, the, this, those two specific days, the, the, uh, the second day and the fifth day, uh, they say it was because that According to legend, Moses went up to the mountain to get the law on the second day, came back down, broke him, had to go back up again. Guess what day he went up on? The the fifth day. Doesn't that sound really, really spiritual? Not sure of the connection, but that's what they said. Let me tell you the truth. Those two days, the second and the fifth day, just happened to be the major Jewish market days. The peasants and the farmers went to the market one day and the merchants went the other. So those were the most crowded market days when people would be there to observe those very spiritual Pharisees observing their fasts. Oh, and how did the crowds know that they were fasting? 
Well, they wore little neon signs that said so. They neglected their appearance. They didn't anoint their heads. They didn't wash their faces. They didn't shave. They didn't wash. They didn't comb their hair. They looked completely disheveled. And oh, the look of pain on their faces because they skipped breakfast. They would wear old uh, torn clothes, cover themselves with dirt and ashes. Some even wore makeup to make themselves look pale and very sickly on that one day. It was clear to everyone what they were doing. They were hypocritos. They were hypocrites. They were actors on a stage wearing a mask and a costume for everyone to see. And I would say two things about that. Actually, Jesus says one of them first. <laughs> this may come as a shock to some of you, but it is not that painful to skip some food for a day. There was no reason for them to look in such distress unless, of course, they wanted to. And the second thing is, Jesus actually said, they have been paid in full. All you want is the attention and praise and adulation and applause of men. Fine, you got it, you're done. But know this, you get nothing from God. So, I guess I could say, since we're talking about fasting, when you fast, don't make a big show out of it. Don't do it to be seen by men. And you say, no problem, because most of us don't fast anyway. We would never think of skipping a meal. After all, you just told us it's not mandatory. We don't have to do it. So isn't it time for lunch? It is true that you do not have to fast. But if you don't, you are missing out on one of the great spiritual disciplines designed by God to help us grow in grace and to to be like Jesus. So I guess the question is, how much do you really want to be like Jesus? So for the next few minutes, let's talk about what true biblical fasting is and why it might just be worth your while to check it out. The first thing to notice in the, in the text is, is Jesus says, whenever you fast in verse 16 and when you fast in verse 17. The point is, while it may not be explicitly commanded uh, to fast, Jesus implicitly expected his followers to fast. He expected us to fast. In fact, later in Matthew chapter 9, some disciples of John the Baptist were a little bit confused about this fasting thing and, and came to Jesus and asked, well, hey, hey, why is it that, that the Pharisees fast and we're fasting, but your disciples don't? And Jesus answered and said to them, uh, the, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but once again, we see that Jesus expected that after he left, that his disciples would fast. And as we read through the book of, of Acts, that's apparently what the way the early church took it because we find them fasting over and over. And so apparently fasting is something Christians do. So you've tried that, haven't you? And this is your typical experience. Uh, okay, I'm going to fast on Monday. And you make it through breakfast just fine. 
But about mid-morning, your stomach starts growling and you cannot believe that co-worker brought donuts to work. That cheapskate never brings donuts. By lunchtime, you're really hungry and all you can think about is food. By mid-afternoon, you might as well go home because you are worthless at work. By evening, you are so irritated that one of your children had the audacity to make microwave popcorn. You should never make microwave popcorn when someone is fasting. Every restaurant advertisement on TV drives you crazy, which... Maybe means you shouldn't be watching TV when you're fasting. And so you go to bed early. I can, I can eat. I wake up early in the morning and I can s- stop this silly thing. Or better yet, I'll set my alarm for midnight. <laughs> but don't I feel spiritual? And that's the way that we view fasting. So, so what then is fasting? Let me give you a definition. I'll expand on it in just a few moments. Fasting is putting away food or, and or water for a specific period of time because of a distraction or a passion. Food and or water because of a distraction or a passion. Now, uh, some people want to extend fasting beyond food and drink, and, and, and that's fine. People want to fast from things like TV or, or sleep or sports or, here's a good one for you, social media. And, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with fasting from those things. But I want to suggest to you that people fast from those things because it's easier than fasting from food. In fact, in all of the reading that I did this week, people talk, uh, the writers talked about how fasting really exposes you for who you are and what you really value. Well, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says it this way, to, complete, to make the matter complete, we would add that fasting, if we conceive of it truly, must not only be confined to the question of food and drink. Fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some spiritual purpose. Okay, that's true and that's fine. But technically, in Scripture, a fast always refers to abstaining from food and or drink maybe with the exception of 1 Corinthians 7, which talks about abstaining from uh, in physical intimacy and not going there. So why would you fast, particularly when food is so good? Uh, let, let me begin by telling you what fasting is not. First, Fasting is not an end in itself. Just like the rest of the spiritual disciplines, it is not an end in itself. You don't fast just to fast so you can say that you fasted and check off some religious requirement. That's what the Pharisees did on the second and fifth day of the week. In fact, I will say this very carefully, but I will say this. While our, while our first two disciplines of Bible and prayer must be part of every Christian life, you could actually go your whole life without fasting. I think you'd miss out, but I think that you could. A second, you, you don't fast to prove yourself to be spiritual as if it's some merit badge. In fact, I would suggest that you fast because you are spiritual. This is really important. Fasting is not something you do to gain merit, to gain virtue, to gain God's attention. You fast because you want to um, uh, improve 
the relationship that you already enjoy. Which leads to the next one. And this is, I need to say this one very carefully. Fasting is not something that you do to show God how serious you are, you know, this time. It is not some key or some mystical, magical formula to get God what you want Him to do. It is not a spiritual hunger strike. I am not going to eat until you do what I want. God will not be backed into a corner. We, we don't approach fasting like, God, I really, 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 really want this, so please, 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 please give it to me. And I'll even fast to show you how really, really, really serious I am about this and how really, really badly I want it. So then, what is biblical fasting? Now, before I get to that, let me share some other things that we learn about fasting from the Bible. First, biblical fasts come in a variety of shapes and sizes. Sometimes it involved no food, sometimes, uh, uh, but included water. Sometimes it was called an absolute fast and included no food, no water. Sometimes it included fasting from certain kinds of foods. Sometimes it was a private fast, which means you just did it alone. So other times it involved groups, such as the entire church. Sometimes it involved the whole nation. Did you know that there have been three presidents in histories, in, in our history, who have called for a national fast? Not recently, of course, but they've done that. Some were regular, like, like on the Day of Atonement, meaning it was regularly scheduled. And while I'm on that topic, let me just suggest to you that if you don't schedule a fast, like prayer and Bible study, you probably won't. Others were occasional, that is, as the need arose. Most today fall under the category of normal, meaning food, but uh, no food, but water. Private means just something you do, and on occasion as the need arises. Now, <laughs> everyone always wants to know, okay, fine, how often should I fast? Well, the Bible doesn't say. Jesus just says, when you fast, okay, fine, how long do I fast? I believe that will become more clear in just a moment. But just so you know, in the Bible, there are one-day fasts, partial-day fasts, one-night fasts, three-day fasts, seven-day fasts, 14-day fasts, 21-day fasts, 40-day fasts, and just in case that isn't confusing enough, there are also fasts of unspecified lengths. So how long do you fast? As long as the Holy Spirit leads you to do so. So. Having said all of that, what then is real fasting? Let me expand on that earlier definition. It is a movement of God in your heart. Don't miss that. It is a movement of God in your heart such that you are so preoccupied with a distraction or a passion that you give up food to overcome the distraction or pursue the passion. You might actually even lose interest in food. Do you remember that time that you were so involved, so committed to a task or a project or a job or a responsibility or a hobby or a, or a sport or something that you really enjoyed, you just forgot about Eating, is it possible that you could become so committed to, so involved in something spiritual that eating becomes unimportant to you? You have to understand that fasting in the Bible is always connected with 
praying, always. It's critically important. It's key. And I've already referred to this, but biblical fasting always has a spiritual purpose. What that means is that there is something in your relationship with the Lord that is so distracting, so obsessive, so passionate, that as you pray, you also fast to focus on God and His purposes, to focus on God and God alone. It is not necessarily that you try not to eat. You don't actually care about food until the distraction or passion is settled. Now, that does not mean that you will not be hungry. But food, you will find, does not satisfy. God and God alone does. Remember, these spiritual disciplines are all about me and God and growing in my relationship with Him. Foster says it this way, physical benefits, success in prayer, the undoing with power, spiritual insights, these must never replace God as the center of our fasting. Wesley, John Wesley said further, first, let it, that is fasting, be done unto the Lord with our eyes singly fixed on him. Let our intention herein be this and this alone to glorify our Father which is in heaven. Fasting is ultimately about God and gaining a clearer glimpse of Him. And so let me give you some examples of what some of those times might be when you choose to fast or a fast finds you. In his book on the spiritual disciplines, Donald Whitney lists 10 occasions for fasting. You'll be glad to know that I have condensed them to four or we would all be fasting through lunch. First, the first in, is, times, is in times of mourning or grief. Mourning or grief. It might be that someone close to you is really sick and you go before the throne on their behalf. It might be that you're really sick and you spend time, just you and the Lord. It may be at a time of a loss of a loved one and you just don't feel like eating. You know what I'm talking about. You've lost someone very, very close to you, and your appetite just goes away. And someone well-intentioned comes up to you and says, well, you have to eat. Do you? There are times when our bodies accommodate our hearts. When our grief is so great that food completely loses its interest, we mourn, we pray, we fast. People frequently fasted during... Uh, times of grief and mourning uh, in the Scripture. Let me give you just one example. You remember David in 2 Samuel chapter 12. He had committed his sin with Bathsheba. She became pregnant, and part of the punishment was that the child would die. The child's born, and so for seven days, David fasted, fasted for a week, praying for the child's life. His grief was great. I use that particular example because, as I said earlier, fasting is not some special, secret, mystical, magical formula to get God to do what you want. The child died. Fasting, however, does allow us to focus on that which is important for the time, our grief and our God. A second time we might fast is in times of humility and, and repentance. 
humility. As I said earlier, um, everybody points out how fasting has a way of bringing to the surface those things in your life that should not be there. Humbling you. And repentance. David again serves as our example when he had committed his double sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. He, he fasted and prayed seeking repentance and forgiveness. Repentance and forgiveness. You see, there are times that our sin is so great and our grief over our sin is great that we lose interest in food. All that matters is being restored in our relationship to God. And we put away food, not necessarily to demonstrate sincerity, although I believe it does that, but because the priority of our lives is God and God alone. We hear the words of the Lord in Joel chapter 2, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning. And so we fast. A third reason we might fast is to seek God for direction. If you are about to, to make a, a monumental decision, an important decision in your life, if you are about to enter perhaps some important ministry, you fast, seeking God for His direction and His leadership. Jesus fasted, actually, for 40 days as He was about to enter His public ministry. The church in Antioch, in Acts chapter 13, fasted before they appointed Paul and Barnabas, sent them out as missionaries from the church. Paul and Barnabas fasted before they appointed elders in those churches. It may be good for us, if led by the Spirit, to fast as we approach major decisions, ministry opportunities, to block out everything around us and focus on what God would say to us. Finally, the fourth reason, and if you're taking notes, write this down. The fourth reason that we fast is to say to God, the giver of all good things, I want you, God, more than your gifts. I have a greater hunger for you than for what you graciously give, even daily bread. You are more valuable. You are more important to me than everything else. In the words of Donald Whitney, fasting can be an expression of finding your greatest pleasure and enjoyment in life from God. Not food, not water, not clothes, not job, not health, not houses, not lands, not cars, not wealth, not self, uh, not stuff, not anything else but what God gives we find our greatest satisf satisfaction in God Himself. And we put aside His good gifts for a time to be completely satisfied in Him. John Piper, in his book on fasting, which, by the way, is entitled A Hunger for God, I commend it to you, says this. The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison but apple pie. It is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling on the table of the world, at the table of the world. For all the ill that Satan can do, when God describes what keeps us from the banquet table of his love, it is a piece of land 
a yoke of oxen and a wife. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. These are not vices. These are gifts of God. They are your basic meat and potatoes and coffee and gardening and reading and decorating and traveling and investing and TV watching and internet surfing and shopping and exercising and collecting and, and talking. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. See, when we start loving the gifts more than the giver, then that gift becomes an idol. And so, here's a question for you to consider. What is the one thing in your life right now, the one good thing in your life right now that you could not live without? If that's anything but God, it's an idol. So often we then put aside those simple pleasures of life like food to feast on God. Foster writes, therefore, in experiences of fasting, we are not so much abstaining from food as we are feasting on the Word of God. Fasting is feasting. And, and, and suddenly, a new picture about fasting begins to emerge. All of a sudden, the question is not, listen to me, all of a sudden, the question is not, do you fast, but do you care do you care do you care about anything so much that it would become a distraction to eating do you care that much about God so what is it this morning maybe it's your own sin you like David have some secret hidden sin that is eating you up. And you know that you need to spend some time in repentant prayer, perhaps putting food away, because the truth is you're just not hungry. The truth is God is awakening in you a hunger that you have not had in a very long time, a hunger and thirst for righteousness, a hunger and thirst for Him. Maybe it's the sin of someone else. There's someone that you care about very, very much. Maybe a rebellious child. Maybe a spouse who is not walking with the Lord. Maybe a hardened parent, coworker, roommate, friend. And your heart aches for them so badly that you don't feel like eating. Then don't. Then pray and fast. Spend some time praying, fasting, interceding for them. Maybe you are facing some monumental, some important decision, and you need to seek Him for His direction. Block out all the distractions of life so that you can hear His voice. Maybe, just maybe, while you are hungry for food, you are more hungry for God. And you want to put his gifts away, his wonderful gift of food, just to say, 
I love you, God, the giver, more than your gifts. And so for this time, I want to express my passion for you. I'm going to put away food right now because what I desperately need is you. I promise you, on the authority of God's word, Jesus' very words, no less, that if you seek God in fasting for whatever spiritual purpose he leads you, he will reward you. Let's pray.